Blog Talk Radio.
to different folks, but uh, and though there's a lot of podcasts out there, there's just not a lot of good stuff. So I, I hope that uh, uh, if anybody has uh, a good line or some good stuff, you can put it into the chat or send me a PM or email with that because I'm always looking for it. And I hope that that this information that I put out to you guys on a weekly basis, I hope that uh, that you find it uh, useful uh, and worthy of the uh, the time it takes to listen to it. Okay, tonight we're going to talk uh, about a couple of things. We're going to talk about shelter because that's one of the one of the five legs of the survival table, and all five legs are very important. And shelter is uh, is just as important as any of the rest of them. You've got uh, uh, air. I mean, uh, air. Yeah, air is very important. So let's keep the air uh, in our survival bags. We've got. Uh, uh, water, food, shelter, security, and energy. These are the five things that we're going to need in order to uh, in order to make it in survival situations, either man-made, natural disaster, uh, cessation of services, anything like that. These are the five things, the five five major things that you'll need. Now, there's plenty of others. You know, the list is an infinite list, right? Depending on who you are, uh, the, the list is an infinite list infinite list of things that that you could possibly need or you could possibly use. But these are the five main things that uh, that are going to be required for you to make it. And shelter is, is equally as important as all the rest. Uh, a little bit later in the show, we're going to talk about the pretty amazing events that just happened in Colorado. A lot of folks were uh, a lot of folks were at first surprised that Colorado had pushed through such stringent anti-gun legislation. And then a lot of folks were not so surprised because of of what has happened to the Colorado demographics, to the folks that have been moving there. You know, it's been – it has been a beeline for a lot of folks in California. They've been shooting straight over to Colorado. And uh, and yet still people were – were pretty surprised at how tough uh, the anti-gun legislation was. Now, they were surprised again this last week when two of the state senators were recalled. So we'll talk about that in just a minute, too. Let's uh, let's start off with, uh, if anybody, and, and let me tell you, too, if anybody wants to call in, you're always welcome to call in anytime, uh, anytime during the show. But at the beginning of the show, we usually make some time uh, for folks to call in. If you would like to tell your local Appleseed Project crews thanks, then we'd like for you to do that. And we'll take your calls anytime during the show. But if I'm in the middle of talking about something, you, you might end up waiting a little while. So if you want to call in, you can call in uh, right now. We'll be glad to take your calls. It is... Uh, three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero. Three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero. And uh, we'll take your calls and get you on the air and get your information out. Uh, so let's talk about shelter. Now, usually the first thing people think about whenever I say shelter is your house. 
is, yeah, if I'm sheltered, that means I gotta have a house. I gotta have a house that I can get into, and I can I can make it warm, and I can stay dry. And absolutely, absolutely, your house is sheltered. <clears throat> and we've talked before the show about uh, about the fallacy of bugging out uh, as opposed to bugging in. About how that a lot of people think that's safer. And I'm telling you right now that in in almost in most cases that staying in your home is going to be uh, is going to be one of the safest bets. And that's as far as the general statement. Because if obviously if you've got a uh something going on in specific your specific area, a hurricane coming, flooding, uh a dirty bomb, uh forest fires, anything like that, then and no, you can't stay in your home. Otherwise, staying in your home is going to be a good bet. That means you have shelter uh ready made there for you, right? Because that's your house. That's the whole purpose of having a house, is so you would have some shelter. <clears throat> now we're not gonna go into uh, about heating it or, or having lights or anything inside. We talked about lights uh, some last week. And we'll talk about all of this stuff. Uh, we're going to be talking about it uh, over and over again because I'll probably end up devoting probably a good 10 to 15 to 20 minutes uh, per episode on on different parts of survival. So we'll, even though we've got over stuff, we may go over it again. Uh, anytime there, I feel like there's something new we can add to the conversation on it. Tonight we'll be talking about shelter, and and certainly your home is shelter. And uh, if you have uh, a camper or a school bus or a motorhome, you know, or anything like that, then then there you go. There's shelter that you can take with you. A lot of people have uh, uh, campers that they can take with them. They have uh, the little pop-up campers, or they may have a motor home or something like that. And maybe if you decided to bug out, then uh, it might be a good idea for you to take uh, uh, your pop-up camper with you, or or something like that. Or or some folks have uh, secondary homes that they are planning on using for their bug-out locations and stuff like that. So they're already set up. But what if you don't? Uh, shelter is going to be a very important part of your survival plan. And the reason it is is because shelter is really anything that stands between you and uh, the elements. It can be a, a $5 million home all the way down to a garbage sack. So uh let's talk about uh let's talk about it from the bottom end up. Let's talk about it from the garbage sack up. So you can buy uh you can buy the hefty uh contractor size trash bags now for a pretty cheap price. You know, you can get uh you know, a good big roll of them that uh, you can use for uh, for trash release or whatever your stuff around the house. But then what I do is I take uh, one of the empty trash bags, and uh, it folds up very small. I fold it up very nice and small, and then and make it smaller and to make it uh, uh, less susceptible to tears and everything else because who knows what I'm going to use this trash bag for. I might be using it as a makeshift raincoat, or I might be trying to use it for a solar still later. So what I do is I fold it up real nice 
and tight and flat, about the size of a uh, of a Ziploc sandwich bag. Then put it into the sandwich bag, and then you know close most of the sandwich bag except for that little tiny corner, and then then you're pressing out the rest of the air and lock it down. So now it's not it's not much thicker than uh, uh, you know than a few sheets of paper. And that goes inside uh, all of the packs, all of the bucket bags. Inside, uh, uh, I'll put two together in a Ziploc bag, and it goes in the glove box. Uh, anywhere that I might end up being, uh, in any of the vehicles, uh, in uh, the campers, in the motorhomes, uh, down at the range, I've got a whole bunch of them. Anywhere that I'm going to be, I always make sure that I have these because there are there are a lot of ways, a lot of things that these could be used for. But let's talk about using it for shelter. And normally, uh, the first words out of my mouth when I see somebody putting a uh, a plastic bag over their head is, "Don't do that." All right. But you certainly can do it with uh, plastic garbage bags. Uh, of course, you're going to put a hole in it first. And depending on the situation, depending on what you're going to have to do, uh, it's, going to, it's going to determine where you're going to put the holes and stuff like that in the garbage sack. Uh, if it's not that cold and you're going to be moving around a lot, and uh, and you're just trying to stay fairly dry, you can uh, put the uh, free holes in the bottom of the garbage sack, pretty much like you would, like what it would look at if you were uh, if you were looking at a sleeveless T-shirt, right? To have holes in the two corners and then one in the middle. And you'll just put that over your head and you'll wear it uh, like a sleeveless T-shirt. You put your hand, your arms through the holes in the corners and your head through the hole in the top. And if you've got, uh, like I said, buy, buy the big contractor sets, the really nice big ones, all right? Because uh, they're not, they're the, the cost is not going to be much different at all than the other ones. And uh, and they're usually a lot thicker. Which means they're going to last a little bit longer. They're not going to tear as easy. And you can wear the big contractor size, uh, the big uh, uh, 40-gallon ones. You can wear that over your backpack. So I would make sure that I have those. Uh, you can buy one box. I don't know how much they are now. Five bucks maybe. Uh, I'd have to look and see what, what I paid for the last box. But uh, have those stashed in your backpacks and your vehicles, anywhere you're going to go. Where you where a situation could arise that you would need some emergency uh, waterproofing, you know, something to keep you dry. Now, if you are not going to be moving, it's a situation where the uh, the rain was coming down pretty good and and it was cold, and you were needed to save as much body heat to stay as dry as possible. And I wouldn't tear the armholes in just yet. I would just tear a small enough hole that I could see and breathe and put it on over my head. And I wouldn't tear it right in the middle of the top. 
ter- to like a little bit down the farther in the center of uh, uh, the bottom of the, set, the, the bag. So I could pull it on over my head and body without any other holes in it, and it would come over the top of my head, and I would look out through the hole like a, like you're looking out through a hood, okay? And then I would keep my arms folded against my body, and then uh, if need be, I would crouch down and pull the bag over my knees and make sure that all of my body was covered. And you could, like I said, if you buy the large bags, you can easily do this with uh, even a fairly large backpack on. That way you can keep your gear dry, you can keep your body dry, and uh, and it will assist in holding in your body heat. <clears throat> All right? So that's starting at the very bottom, the garbage sack. Now, even a, even a, uh, uh, the, the little, the, the cheap little Walmart bags and stuff like that, even those can be used. You can do you can use that too because what you're trying to do is especially in a in a worst case scenario you're not going to be unless you have rain gear we'll talk about rain gear in just a minute unless you have rain gear you're not going to everything isn't going to stay dry but you're going to try and stay as dry as possible are you going to be keep trying to stack the uh, the BTUs in your favor that means you got to keep cold water from getting on you and you've got to get uh, uh, and keep heat in. So even like the Walmart bags, you could use those. You could pop a, a quick hole in the top and a couple holes in the corners and slide that on uh, over your head and shoulders, and that would keep some of the rain from getting into you, and it would keep help keep some of the heat in. If you have kids, you could do the same thing. Once again, I'm telling you, make sure you tear the holes first, and then and I don't let the kids jack with the bags. By themselves, we don't want uh, we don't want people pulling plastic bags over their heads. That's not a good idea. All right, but uh, you could certainly use the plastic bags to keep the the kids dry. Uh, in a case where you are you would uh, you have a bunch of these bags, and I, I keep a bunch of these in the cars too. I'll I'll have Oh, I don't know, maybe 30 or 40 of the, uh, you know, the small Walmart-type plastic sacks uh, wadded up into a, uh, inside another plastic bag. And you can get 30 or 40 of them in uh, something the size of a cantaloupe, right, because they crush up pretty small. You can take them and you can tie them uh, over your feet. So they're like, uh, you know, they're like uh, impromptu uh, galoshes. Uh, to help keep your feet from getting soaked. Now they're not durable, so if you walk in them at, at any any kind of a distance, you're going to start getting holes and everything else in them. But it will help to keep the rain off your feet, and it will help keep the uh, the heat from draining out as rapidly. Okay, uh, I've seen people plenty of times, and I've done it myself too. Uh, where I've taken my boots off, left my socks on, but I took my boots off, put on a uh, uh, Walmart sack on each foot, and then put the boots back in and laced them back up, uh, trying to keep the water from soaking into my socks and getting my feet wet, and and trying to keep them somewhat warm, okay? Uh, 
now this I'll warn you too that this this will by putting the bags over your feet with the socks in it'll also cause your feet to sweat more. All right, but if we're talking about trying to to keep the feet dry and keep the heat in, this is another thing you can do. Uh, the sacks will also allow you to uh, to maybe. Uh, it's like if you're in your vehicle or, or or wherever you were and you had these sacks and you had to go somewhere else, it would let you take some of your gear and and place them in the, in the Walmart sacks and keep them from getting wet. Uh, okay. So now let's talk about uh, – let's talk about the rest of your gear too. Now, even though my backpack is uh is semi water resistant, I've still sprayed it with uh with the with the sealer to trying to keep any more water from getting in. But then on top of that, what I've done is in the uh for the large compartments, first thing I do is I'll put in a uh plastic sack. All right? And it's pretty heavy duty plastic. Uh, I get them from the dollar stores. You can pay like a buck, buck and a half, and you can get uh, a plastic sack that's big enough to hold uh, maybe uh, two one-gallon containers of milk, okay? And I'll put that in the rucksack first, or I'll just start packing the gear straight into that and then put it in the ruck. But then on top of that, all of the gear that goes into the ruck uh, or into my travel bags even, I do the same thing in my travel bags. Even if I just have, uh, you know, one of those big gym totes that I'm taking somewhere, uh, I'll take my clothes and I'll put uh, my socks. Uh, I'll take all the socks. I'll uh, uh, lay them out nice and flat or roll them up, however, whichever way I, I feel like doing it at the time. Then I'll put them into the uh, the one-gallon Ziploc bags or the quart-sized Ziploc bags, depending on, on how far, how long I'm going to be gone for. And then the same thing, close the bag partially, press all the air out, and then close the bag the rest of the way so it's like vacuum sealed. And that's how my socks go in there. And then that's how a package of underwear goes in. That's how my T-shirts go in. So that all the gear inside the bag is protected from uh, from the weather and that it's dry. Because I see a lot of folks that... Uh, They've got all their gear ready to go in their bags, and then they get a rain, and and the rain goes through their bag, and they got nothing dry to put on. they got nothing dry to put on. Uh, the clothes are all nice and clean, but they're wet. <clears throat> so make sure that uh, while you're doing your prep that you're, that you're prepping for weather, that you're prepping and you're, and you're, you're having an understanding of shelter, because shelter... Is, is at times what you're taking with you, all right? The same thing for the rest of my clothes. I just use a larger bag. I use one of the, like, the uh, the big Ziploc bags that I'm talking about because they make them all the way up to the size that you can put in uh, four or five pair of jeans and then Ziploc the bag shut, all right? And that's what uh, my larger clothes go into. And then, of course, everything, almost every single thing I put in the bag gets its own Ziploc container. 
and then uh, that way there's multiple things in in the bag. I'm not in the in the backpack. I'm not digging around for loose items. I've got the items all together, protected from the water, and then I've written on the outside on the label with a sharpie what's in there. Uh, my binoculars, my fire starting gear, my uh, fishing uh, gear, uh, whatever whatever is needed, and. Uh, And everything is locked down into a Ziploc bag, all right? I try to make sure that uh, that everything in the bag is protected. My extra ammunition, any kind of uh, uh, everything. Everything in the bag, none of it's loose. Everything in the bag will, have, uh, will be protected by Ziplocs. And that – and – and then I'll have a few extra ones that I'll fold up and put in there too because uh, you never know when it's going to come in handy. And the bag don't take any room at all. All right? Now, on top of that, uh, I make sure that in each of the bags uh, are usually two ponchos. One is going to be a uh, one of the military ponchos. Uh, that I've bought in that I've bought uh, uh, in bulk off eBay, and uh, usually they're the they're the the nice big uh, camouflage colored ponchos that the military has, and I think I bought I bought a whole bag full of those for about four bucks a piece, and there'll be one of those in each of the bags. They don't take up much room either, as long as you make sure that uh, whenever you're uh, Whenever you're packing your gear, that you roll everything up nice and flat and tight, put it in the Ziploc, press the air out, seal it off. And then in addition to that will be another uh, cheaper uh, uh, poncho. Something like uh, right now, uh, on my last pack up, I used the, uh, the cheap ponchos that... Uh, they all have the uh, the made of the mist logo on them. They're the ones that I that we got uh, this last trip to New York uh, when we took the made of the mist tour at Niagara Falls. So I've got uh, one heavy duty poncho and then one smaller body poncho in each of these sacks uh, because keeping dry is extremely important. Uh, most of the fatalities uh, that occur in the wilderness, uh, you know, occur because of exposure. And it, it doesn't take a whole lot of exposure to kill you. You can get uh, hypothermia really pretty easy. And, uh, and it is very dangerous. So <clears throat> keeping dry, keeping the water off you, keeping your body heat in is a very, very important part of your survival plan. Uh, <clears throat> all right, so I've got uh, the garbage bags stashed away, and I've got some in my backpack. Like I said, I've got a, a, one of the big contract one stuff in my backpack. I've got, in addition, inside the backpack, in each of them, I've got the uh, uh, the GI poncho, which can double as a shelter. And then I've got uh, usually one of the smaller, cheaper plastic ponchos, uh, that you can either get 
like from Walmart and stuff like that for a buck or something. And normally what I do is I've just got, uh, uh, I've saved the ones that we've gotten on different trips and stuff like that. And uh, and so everybody has one of those that they can put on. Now, your what you're going to wear in weather is very important too. And and a lot of this is going to depend on your situation because if you're at home and you're going to go out and uh, and get some firewood or you're going to feed the rabbits or you're just going to make a, uh, you know, a quick loop of the property or something like that or, you know, a walk around the block and you're coming back to your house, even if you get soaking wet, even in the winter, then it's probably not that big a deal because you'll get you're going to be back at your uh, back at your shelter, and you can get something dry and put it on and stuff like that. So your prep for weather, your prep for shelter is going to be is going to be dependent on your situation. But even though it is, you should make sure that that if you're going somewhere with your bag. Even if it's just a little bag, even if it's just a small bag, that you've got a garbage sack and a poncho in it. Uh, because I know at least here in Texas, it can be bright sunshiny uh, whenever I'm starting to make a walk to the back of the property. Uh, the back of the property is only a half mile. And be, it can be sunshiny without any clouds that I can see. And before I get back, to the house, I can catch a a good soaking shower. And if it's in winter, uh, I can have have the involuntary shutters uh, by the time I get back. All right? So, So making sure that you are considering weather and that you're considering shelter uh, in and every time that you're that you're either packing your gear or you're you're going somewhere, etc., making sure that you're considering shelter is very important. Uh, now, let's talk about uh, let's talk about things that you can wear. Uh, you know, everybody has their own uh, has their own uh, things that they like to wear. And depending on where you are, where you live, and stuff like that, that's going to that's going to make a lot of the the decisions. It's going to affect a lot of the the decisions that you'll make. Because if you're in Florida in uh, uh, June, then even if you're even if you were looking at having to make a uh, you know a 10 mile or 20 mile hike, it's going to be a lot different than uh, if you are in Minnesota, and uh, even in June, right? So where you are and your situation is going to determine uh, a, a lot of the the input that's going to go in to make this decision. Regardless, I don't care where you are, I don't care if you're in Florida in June, you should still make sure that you have, uh, that you should have, something, some type of shelter to keep you out of the rain. 
if any of you have been watching, uh, I'm not sure what it, what channel it's on. If it's uh, National Geographic or Discovery or I'm not sure which one, but one of the channels has this show called uh, Is It Naked? Naked and Afraid or Naked and It's Naked and Something. And yes, the folks are butt naked. Now, I'd heard about this show a long time before I watched it. Because, and I just I just thought it was ridiculous. Now, at first, I didn't think they were actually naked. I thought it just meant like naked as in uh, I'm just out here with my with my blue jeans and uh, and no survival gear, no compass and stuff like that, and I'm like naked in the elements and, and afraid. And then uh, I started watching it one night, and to, to my amazement, they were actually butt naked. And and I, I still don't understand the naked part unless it's just to get more people to watch. Because in my mind, I'm trying to figure out how in the world could you ever uh, what 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 could what could put you in a situation where you were out in the wild naked? I mean, other than some kind of frat party or something. Uh, I mean, if you. If you had to leap out of a uh, out of a out of a commercial aircraft that was that was diving into Earth, and you jumped out at 400 knots, it would probably rip your clothes off. I mean, it probably would. It probably would strip you completely butt naked, but it would probably also tear your arms and legs off. Uh, so I'm not sure how you could end up butt naked out in the woods, but. But apparently you can, or apparently uh, they want you to prepare for it. And I'll also tell you this, too, that the night that I watched it, they had me running a a string of them. It was, uh, I don't know, five or six episodes. And the one thing they all had in common was the guys on the shows were all wussy weasels. They 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 were just sad. They either... They either didn't know what they were doing, or they were just, uh, or wussies, or uh, they just did dumb stuff. In one episode, uh, the guy, uh, the guy lit the fire go out. They tried to, that they had, to, they tried so hard to finally get lit because even though they were in the Costa Rican jungle, it got cold at night. Especially when there was rain, and they were they were on the verge of hypothermia. So here it is: this summer in the jungle, uh, the same thing happened in Louisiana, and they were freezing. If you're butt naked, or even just uh, scantily clad, or or even just even if you've got your clothes and you get wet, the temperature does not have to go down that far for you to get uh, hypothermia. Anyway, in one episode, the guy drinks water that he had not made safe first. He even made a crack to the camera stand. Hey, don't tell the girl, uh, you know, that I'm drinking this water. And sure enough, he was so, it, it, it was just stupid. I mean, everybody I think watching could tell it wasn't, it wasn't a stupid thing to do. Anyway, he got some parasites and he got, he had to be med I uh, had to leave the girl there by her own. Uh, in another one, uh, the guy 
the with a marine recon guy, and I'm sure that uh, that when he's all uh, k-popped and armored and everything up, that he is one rough, mean dude. But when you took him butt naked, he was a red-haired guy, and when you and this once again will emphasize the importance of shelter. In the first 30 minutes of the show, the first 30 minutes that he, when he got out uh, on the shore of this uh, island and stripped off his clothes to begin the show, it only took 30 minutes from that point for him to get a debilitating sunburn, and that caused him to be laying on the ground for the next three days, whining about the fact that the girl wasn't bringing him good things to eat and drink and stuff like that. So... Each episode, every single episode, was the guys were just sad, sad, sad. I'll tell you one thing too: that if you're ever in a situation like that, one of the first things you should do, if it's somebody that uh, that you that you're just working with that you've never worked with before or something, uh, the very first thing they should have done is laid out their strengths and weaknesses. Uh, and then divide the plan together. I mean, in the first three minutes of the conversation, I mean, the first thing you do is you can look at each other and just say, okay, I'm going to look at you for 30 seconds, I'm going to look at your naked body, and then we'll be over, okay? You look at mine, we'll look at each other's nakedness for a couple of minutes, uh, 30 seconds. We'll look at each other's nakedness for 30 seconds, and then and then let's get over that. And then you lay out your strengths and weaknesses. Okay, I'm not so good at uh, at starting fires, uh, and, you know, without a uh, match. What about you? Okay, you're good? Okay, let's then let's have you handle that, and I'll be your assistant. Uh, I'm good on building a shelter. What about you? Not so good? Okay, then I'll build the shelter, and you can be my assistant on that, or you can work on the fire or something like that. So you get you lay out your plan of what you're going to do, and then you get it going, because in each of the cases, too, it seemed like the people wasted a lot of time uh, trying to figure out what they were going to do and getting it started, and... Uh, and a lot of times the guys, it seemed to me, were, were trying to be too much guy and uh, and say that they were going to do it. And it, it just it just made the, the folks look bad, all right? But I brought that up for two reasons. One, uh, because it showed, uh, it showed very, very quickly the importance of shelter. And I'm calling it, in this case, I'm calling closed shelter. Because they can be, because they are. If the if the recon marine would have had a long sleeve shirt and pants on and a hat, then in the first thirty minutes of the show, he would have not have received a debilitating sunburn. And it doesn't have to be cold for you to need shelter. All right, it could be hot. It can be sunny. And in that case, you're still going to need. Uh, something to protect you from the heat. You're going to need a long sleeve shirt and maybe even gloves. Uh, depending on your sensibility, uh, your sensitivity to the sun and uh, and some type of hat and then uh, some type of a tarp or something that you can get under during the hottest part of the day so that you are not uh, uh, absorbing all of that, uh, all those uh, BTUs and uh, and getting burned up, okay. So the uh, 
the shelter is is going to be everything and anything that gets between you and the elements. All right, now we're talking about uh, about the different uh, about the fact of where you are and what you're getting ready to do. It's going to affect your plan for shelter, and you should have a plan for shelter. It's like you have a plan for everything else. You have a plan for security by saying, all right, I'm going to take uh, this uh, this firearm with me and this amount of stuff. It's the same thing that you would need for your shelter. Either you're going to say, I'm going to stay at this location, at this house, or you're going to say, I'm going to take this tarp with me, I'm going to take these clothes with me, uh, so that you have a plan, that you're making an actual plan for your shelter. Uh, so we're just talking about... Uh, about folks planning their uh, their shelter needs, depending on where they are and what their mission is going to be. Uh, like I said, if you're in uh, New York, even in the winter, and you're just going to make a uh, a survey of the block and get back, then your plan can be it can be a little bit a little bit more relaxed than if you are in uh, uh, North Dakota and you're going to go uh, uh, 15 or 20 miles to the next settlement or to the store or whatever, all right? Because you'll be able to you'll be able to get back to your permanent shelter very quickly to some form of warmth and dry clothes and stuff like that. If you can't, then you're going to need to take your shelter with you. And now we talked about the tarps, garbage sacks, and uh, the uh, the small ponchos and stuff that you should have in your bags. Let's talk about things that you can wear. Uh, for me... Like I said, it will depend on the mission and what I'm getting ready to do. But I make sure, uh, number one, is that I'm going to, uh, even if it's hot, I'm going to dress in layers. And they always talk, whenever you talk to anybody about going out into the heat or cold, they'll tell you that you should dress loosely in layers. And, and that's important because you need to be able to to make minor adjustments uh, to your to your clothing, to your individual shelter. You need to be able to make minor adjustments uh, in order to keep you in tune with uh, with the current weather situation. I try to make sure that uh, a lot of my clothing in cold weather is going to be wool, and the reason for that is that wool is one of the fabrics that is able to retain uh, the ability to retain heat even when wet. A lot of other fabrics don't. Uh, uh, cotton doesn't. Uh, nylon doesn't. Uh, now, there are some specific blends that they've made specifically to retain uh, body heat, but uh, as a general rule, these don't. Uh, so, I try to make sure that uh, if I'm going out into the cold for any length of time, I'll usually have uh, a couple of wool garments. I've got a pair of wool pants that I wear in the cold quite often, uh, along with some uh, cotton uh, and wool undergarments that I can wear with them. And I've got a wool sweater uh, that I can put on uh, over the top of everything. And then on top of that, I've got a nice... uh, uh, nylon waterproof uh, jacket that I can wear on top to keep uh, the sweater from getting wet. So 
you need to think about the things that you're going to wear and how you're going to wear them, uh, depending on your mission and the current weather that you're going to get. And you can't, like I said, for here in Texas, I can tell you that it could, the weather could change very quickly, and it does quite often. It could be a, a warm day. Uh, there are plenty of times up in the panhandle when I've I stopped in to eat breakfast, and I was wearing uh, hiking shorts and a short sleeve T-shirt. And by the end of the breakfast, I was trying to get out, but it, but I couldn't because of the uh, hail and snow piled against the door uh, to the restaurant. Uh, so the weather can change quickly. You need to be aware of that and be ready for that uh, in your gear and your clothing, your shelter plan. They make a ton of stuff nowadays that is uh, that is really good. And a lot of the stuff that used to be very, very expensive uh, is a lot less expensive now than it was. Uh, you can buy a lot of the... Uh, I was just reading the chat and I can't think of the name of the... Uh, of the gear, uh, but it's the new uh, uh, it's a new gear, and the the army has uh, some great pants and jacket sets made out of it. Uh, uh, somebody help me on the chat. The uh, uh, I can't think of the name of it. Anyway. Uh, you can go online and you can get a lot of that gear used now. Now, I've got a pair of the pants, uh, the military pants, uh, that are the uh, waterproof, breathable uh, fabric. And I'll take those with me or I'll keep them uh, packed in my gear. And then I'll have a good uh, wool sweater, uh, some good under clothing gear, and uh, I've got uh, several sets of of newly made good wool uh, long underwear, and I've got uh, a bunch of uh, uh, wool long johns and stuff that I bought, uh, uh, army surplus and stuff like that, and then a good wool sweater, and then a good uh, waterproof jacket to go on top, Uh, and that is what I would have packed in my gear if I were getting ready to go uh, for any length of time out uh, into the weather as part of my shelter plan. Now, if you don't have that, and uh, I've told you guys to uh, uh, to make sure that uh, I'm trying to see what uh, what Sam is telling me. The, the George and Trayvon show. Somebody, they think this is the George, the George uh, Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin show. Hmm. Uh, well, it's not, folks. If you're listening and you're and you're waiting to talk about George Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin, well, we're not going to because that's not that's not what the show is about. Uh, if you are in a, a situation where you find yourself uh, uh, <laughs> either naked and afraid or uh, if you find yourself for some reason, step out uh, uh, in the open or in the wilderness without a bunch of gear. Let's talk about that because uh, there are some things that you can do 
to try and keep yourself uh, warm and dry in those situations. Uh, if you look at the uh, the show page, I put uh, some pictures up there, and you can look at that. Uh, uh, yeah, okay, I'm looking at it now. It's got a couple of uh, pictures that I've put on there, and one of them, let's talk about this real quick, because I put it up there just for the fact that I don't want you to do it, is the guy that is running down into the underpass. You know, he's running down to the uh, to the the underpass that's underneath the highway uh, for drainage. Now, there are some situations that uh, that I would recommend you to do this. One would be if you were uh, if you were out in the open on the highway. And uh, and there was a tornado coming. Uh, you could possibly do this. You could possibly, you know, take shelter uh, under the uh, in a in a culvert like that. The smaller would be the better. The smaller the opening is, the better. Uh, but it still might be dangerous in a large opening culvert like that if you. If the wind happened to, to angle right into it, it would, could shoot you out the other side or suck you out into it. Uh, that's why let me tell you that regardless of whatever uh, YouTube videos you've seen of people taking shelter under the highway overpasses, don't do it. It's very dangerous. Uh, the, just because those people got away with it one time, uh, don't do it. All right? And I certainly would not advocate you going under that uh into the drainage tunnel if it was raining. Okay? I would not advocate that you that for you to use that in rain. It may seem like a good idea, but you don't know uh anytime you put yourself in a water course, you don't know how much water is getting ready to come down. If it's raining where you are, it might have been raining upstream from you quite a bit. And for you to put yourself into that water course is not a good idea, especially in some kind of a closed-in tunnel or something. Uh, because if if it put down uh, two or three inches of water uh, upstream from you, and that hits, and you're in there, it's gonna it's gonna take you with it. And who knows when you're gonna be able to get out of that? All right, if it doesn't uh, just chew you to pieces with the debris that it's bringing with you. So don't use uh, waterways under roads and stuff like that as as shelter in rain situations. Okay, um, there's not a whole lot of there's not a whole lot of times I would ever recommend you to use the uh, water drainage systems as shelter. It's just it's not a good idea. It's not safe. All right, but if you look uh, at one of the next uh, pictures that's coming up, you'll see a pile of pine needles there, <clears throat> and. Uh, and what that is is a homemade uh, shelter in the wilderness, and they're not hard to make. You can make it with uh, with just about any type of uh, uh, material that you can find, and it's not going to be easy. Uh, a lot of people think that you can whip together these uh, these Jane and Tarzan shelters real easy, and uh, and I'm telling you, it's not easy. Uh, it is uh it is rough to do but 
but you can do it. Uh, what you'll do is you'll you'll find a uh, like a long pole uh, that's maybe six, seven, eight feet long, however long, and you'll have one end of it propped up, and the other end you can let uh, trail down to the ground. Then you'll put uh, support uh, sticks and branches on it in kind of like a tent shape or TV shape. And then you'll pile more uh, stuff on that. And then you can start putting on larger things, things like uh, uh, branches with leaves. And, uh, uh, you know, if you're in the south somewhere, you can put palmetto fronds and things like that. And then you can start piling smaller stuff on it. Now, what they've done on that in the picture that I've got for you there, they've piled on uh, pine needles. And finally, at the very end, they just put on a bunch of, uh, of pine debris. <clears throat> and... Uh, despite the way it looks, just like a, a pile of uh, of pine branches and stuff like that and, and pine needles, this is actually a, a, a very successful shelter. And I'm telling you, it saved a lot of folks' lives. Uh, <clears throat> because what you're trying to do is keep the water off you if it's raining. Uh, because every time a drop of water hits you, uh, it uses your body temperature to heat the water up, and then it runs off, and another drop comes down. It hits your body. It soaks up that little tiny bit of uh, of heat from your body, and it runs off, and it keeps going until it's got you drained. So it's lowered your poor temperature to the point where it can start becoming dangerous. You start getting uh, uh, hypothermia. All right, so you're going to keep the water off of you, and then you're going to try and put something, some type of barrier between you and the elements, and this will do it. And you don't want it to be, number one, you're not going to be able to make something really big because it, it's very hard, it's very time-consuming, and and it's not worth the effort to make something really big. The one that's in the picture is very small, but uh, you could probably get two people into it along with some gear uh, without too much of a problem, and that's what you want. You want as little extra air around you as possible because you don't want to heat uh, a whole bunch of, I don't know what I'd call it, loose air. Uh, you want to try and keep the air that you've heated uh, as a barrier and, and locked up inside the enclosure with you. You don't want to have to keep heating new air. So this is something that would allow you to uh, to keep yourself uh, relatively dry and relatively warm and it's not hard to build. And I would say, I would tell you that uh, that the best thing to do would be for you to be it for you to practice this, okay? If you go out and uh, spend a weekend sometime, I got a weekend coming up with uh, uh, with Mark, uh, with my partner Mark and his son Hunter. And we're going to have a, uh, a survival weekend for Hunter. He's been dying to have one. And uh, we're going to build shelters. We're going to uh, put up some snares, uh, maybe catch some rabbits, take some, uh, build some homemade uh, fishing stuff, catch some fish and cook and eat it. The best thing to do, though, is to practice. Uh, and you don't have to sleep at it. You don't have to sleep in it overnight. All you have to do is practice making it. Practice making it a couple of times so that you that you can see how to do it, because just as with anything else, you don't want to be, you don't want the first time for you to build a uh, survival shelter 
to be when you need it the most, when you're stressed about everything else and and the clock is ticking on you, you don't want to be, you don't want that to be the first time uh that you've made it, okay? So I would suggest that you that you take some time uh to practice rigging shelters. Now one of the easiest things you can have with you is a tent. It's a ready made tent. And uh and they even make these now that are uh they're inexpensive and they're lightweight, they're small and lightweight that you can pack your old tent with you. Uh, uh normally a lot of times I wouldn't recommend it uh for folks unless unless you're gonna be in cold weather, but they but they're making them now so small and light that it's not that hard to uh, to put one together and use it. I was with uh, uh, a uh, with a scout unit in Panama for uh, quite a few years, and we didn't even get issued uh, sleeping bags or tents because they considered them to be useless. Instead. We had a poncho, poncho liner, and mosquito net, <clears throat> and uh, and that was our that was what we lived with. Now you know at times during the rainy season it would get you you could get cold enough, especially if you'd spent all day and all night in a swamp. You could get cold enough that you started getting the shivers. But really, uh, you know we're we're never really that's about as far as it went. You know, you'd get the shivers and then uh and you'd shiver through the night and you'd wake up. But they do make tents now that are light enough that uh that you can carry one in your individual rug. Now even if you even if it's even if it's in position, uh depending on your situation, you may very well need to carry a good tent with you. Uh if you're going to be in uh, in cold uh, uh, cold climate, and and there's a possibility of rain and snow and stuff like that, and you're going to have to accept the the weight and take that with you. Uh, but if you don't, there are other things that you can do to make it work. Now, with the 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 uh, wilderness. Uh, survival thing that I just told you about with uh, the tree boughs and the pine needles and stuff. Uh, you don't have to use just the pine needles and the tree branches and stuff. If you have uh, some plastic, uh, uh, a tarp or a poncho or something like that, you can put that on it too. You can use that. You can use whatever you have uh, available in order to help you make the shelter. In uh, some of the uh, uh, in some of the bags that I have, because I've got different bags with different purposes and stuff like that, I'm not going to go into that right now. We'll talk about we'll talk about bags and stuff and packing bags and stuff like that on another show. But in one of the bags, uh, I've got uh, a pretty decent sized tarp uh, for that exact reason, and then uh, also have uh, in the bag I've got wool blankets because I told you about the. Uh, 
wool's ability to uh, to help retain heat even when wet. So I've got a, a pretty good sized tarp and then wool blankets. And now the tarp could be used to put between uh, yourself and the ground. The ground is damp, and, but it's uh, but these guys are clear, uh, and the ground is either damp or cold uh, because you want to have a barrier between you and whatever is is cold or damp on the ground if you're going to sleep on the ground. Uh, that can be a tarp, uh, but it should also be something that uh, that has the ability to hold air between you and the ground too. And that would be something like uh, uh, like pine le- pine needles. If you take a bunch of pine needles and you form them up into like a like a mattress or a pad uh, between you and the ground, that's going to be a, a good way of insulating yourself from the ground. Or you could you could use uh, any kind of leaves. Uh, to put a layer between you and the ground and then put your tarp over that. Uh, and you've seen, I'm sure if you watch any of the uh, any of the, the movies like, uh, uh, what was it called? Uh, you know, there was a Rambo was one of them. Uh, in the worst-case situation, uh, if you didn't have anything, he, I think he found a piece of... Uh, torn piece of tarp or something uh, in an old vehicle and uh, he put that on but then he climbs into a pile of leaves you take a bunch of leaves and you pull them into a pile and you climb inside and you pull the leaves on top of you that's certainly better than than having nothing because you've got to have shelter is whatever that you can get between you and the elements and a pile of leaves will work it may not be uh, and I've slept in them before and uh, it, it's not uh, it's not the most comfortable. It's not. Uh, it was itchy, uh, and and it wasn't so cold that all the bugs were in hibernation or frozen. Because what I did is I just I pulled up uh, you know several hundred bugs into a pile and then I jumped in the leaves with them and. Uh, and then it was a long night of the bugs crawling on me for warmth and in some cases biting and and it was all itchy uh but I was grateful to have it, and you will be too if you're trying to to put a layer between you and hypothermia uh, <clears throat> All right, so you can uh, you can pull together a pile of leaves. You can make yourself a uh, a quick shelter by making some type of a lean-to, piling boughs on it, piling leaves on top of that. Uh, if you have anything else that you can put in it, anything that you can add to it, anything you can find, uh, feel free to be creative. Uh, if you if there's a if there's a, a newspaper that is uh, is parts of a newspaper or, or 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 anything like that, any kind of paper or anything like that, you can use that. You can pile that in. Uh, if you are if you're out in the in the open, or if you're if there's a vehicle or something that has paper in it, you can take the paper up. You can crumble the paper up 
uh, rub it between your hands until it's kind of soft, and you can stuff that in your clothing. Anything you can do to put a layer between you and the elements is going to be part of your shelter plan. You can certainly stuff your shirt and your pants with uh, with wadded up newspapers, or uh, if you if there's a like an old blanket, you could either wear it or you could if it if it's too torn up, you could tear the pieces up and stuff it inside your clothing as insulation. You could also take those same leaves and uh, and pine needles and stuff those inside your clothing uh, for insulation. Like I said, I'm not going to say that it's not going to be uh, <clears throat> itchy, and uh, you may not be, and you may be dragging a bunch of bugs in there with you. But it's going to be much better than uh, than getting hypothermia. <laughs> uh, Always try and be as creative uh, as you can. Use anything and everything you can. Use the Walmart set. Use newspaper. Use uh, uh, any kind of uh, uh, anything you can that you can put on you uh, to hold in heat. If you, uh, what is it, the old guy saying here? I'm afraid of a cold wind. Uh yeah, well, certainly, certainly anything you can do uh, that will keep that will keep the elements from getting to you is what you're going to want to do. And uh, who else? Put, oh, the old guy put in there too. The trick. If you saw the trick from, and I've read of it, and uh, I did read it in uh, some of Bridger's accounts and other accounts of mountain men, and then they had it on uh, uh, Jeremiah Johnson. Uh, they showed whenever he <clears throat> he was uh, trying to sleep in the cold that what he did was he scraped out a uh, uh, kind of a, a depression or a hole roughly the size of his body and then built a fire inside the depression jumped, uh, and you know built it so that there was enough of a bed of coals and then put the dirt back in on top of it and then laid on top of that and the coals helped uh, to keep to retain the heat. Now you can do that. Uh, that's going to take a little bit of practice because uh, you saw Jeremiah Johnson, you saw him wake up in the middle of the night almost on fire. Uh, so it's going to take a little bit of a uh, little bit of practice to get it right because, uh, at least for me, uh, I always I always thought I wasn't putting enough in, that I wasn't making enough fire and enough coals, and it really doesn't take as much as you think it's going to take, but. Uh, but you do need a fairly decent layer of coals, and they need to be spread out pretty evenly. But uh, and but then the 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 cover of dirt that you put on, and the dirt needs to be dry dirt. It can't be uh, wet dirt or dirt mixed with snow. You need to try and keep the dirt that you're digging out to make the depression. You need to keep it, uh, you know, nice and and separated and clean so it doesn't get wet. And uh, you can use that to make your sleeping position warm. Uh, Then of the stuff that you can take with you, uh, like I said, they make plenty of good tents that you can use. I'm not going to, I'm not going to try and, uh, and point you to any particular ones because, because they make a lot of them now. uh, And they make a lot better. uh, They're, 
there are a lot of sites that will tell you about the gear better than I can right now because uh, I haven't used a lot of different gear. I've, I've had uh, uh, three or four tents that I've had for over 20 years that I use the same ones over and over. And then a lot of times, like I said, I don't even use tents. Mainly I use uh, either the tarps uh, or the ponchos uh, as gear for my overhead cover. I don't do a lot of uh, of inclement weather camping like I used to. Now, I did uh, I did when I was younger, and I certainly... Uh, I certainly have used things like uh, snow caves because that's another thing that you can do uh, if you are if you are in uh, uh, a colder environment and there's snow, then you can make yourself a snow cave and you can get in it, or a snow hole and get in it. If you can't make a uh, the overhead cover, you can certainly dig out a trench and then uh, pile. Uh, leaves and pine needles and, and boughs and stuff in the bottom of the trench so that you're not touching the ice and then make a cover over the top of that with some more limbs and, and leaves and stuff like that so that you're out of the direct wind and that you put yourself into a an area where you can at least uh, uh, keep some of the air uh, off you and keep some of the, the wet and cold off you. But I I have slept in snow caves before that I've made and uh, I have slept in some fairly cold weather, and uh, we were out uh, on a mission for, I guess it was seven days. We were on a a mission in Ripley, Minnesota, and it was at Winter Warfare School in Ripley, Minnesota. And it was very, very cold uh, to begin with. And, of course, it was kind of ridiculous because you have this whole, here you have a, you know, about 150 Texans uh, in the middle of the snow and only a couple of them had any experience with skis, but every one of us was on skis and we were we were pulling a big 250-pound uh, sled with us tied to us and uh, we're trying to, we're trying to go cross country through the woods and everything else on skis with heavy packs and and rifles and everything else, and uh, it was uh, it was uh, probably pretty hilarious to watch and pretty aggravating to do. But once you've been in the uh, in the cold for a while, your body starts uh, your body starts getting acclimatized to some degree to it. Because I remember on the last uh, night of the exercise, they actually had called a halt to the exercise because. Uh, there was some unusually uh, cold, dense air coming in, and uh, we all got uh, we got the message to find a position and hold up, and uh, and uh, they'd even uh, uh, relax the uh, uh, noise and light discipline. We're allowed to have fires and stuff like that because the temperature was supposed to drop down uh, to 50 to 70 degrees below zero. And uh, we had a, there were seven of us. Our teams normally ran five-man teams, but because we had tents that were designed for seven people, they chopped the teams up into seven-man teams. And uh, so we had a seven-man canvas tent, 
and then in the middle of the tent we had a uh, oil burning stove and you lay with your feet to the center and your head facing out and that and the circumference of the tent was just enough that you that everybody could fit and you were just kind of touching and uh, we're getting ready to go to bed that night <clears throat> and we had to, I had detailed two guys to keep track of the temperature so they would always have the thermometers up and ready so I could ask them what the temperature was and uh, and it was really surprising to me because I always thought that that the that when you hear people talking about spitting and having it freeze or uh, or urinating and having that freeze, I thought I thought that was just uh, an exaggeration because obviously you know, you think that there's no there's no way it could be that cold, but indeed it can. You can uh, you can spit in uh, in minus 50 degree weather, and when it hits the ground, it rolls instead of splatting. It rolls. And it rolls into a little ball that freezes up. Uh, and that night, we uh, we had taken uh, the you know an extra couple of hours to uh, to set up the tent, and we'd shovel snow up uh, onto the to the bottom and to the sides of it to try and to try and make it uh, uh, less susceptible to the wind. And we had the stove going, you know, on high. Uh, we had plenty of oil because we, we were at the end of the 11 days. We knew, I mean, uh, seven days, we're, we knew we were at the end of it. And we'd, we'd been kind of pacing the, the oil usage for the stove. So we had plenty of oil for the night, and the stove was nice and hot. And I was getting ready to go to bed, and, and when you're in cold weather and you're getting ready to get into your sleep bag or whatever, you're supposed to strip down and wear as little as possible to sleep in because you need to be able to be able to put things on when you get up, and uh, and I remember thinking that for the first time in seven days that uh, that I felt really warm, and I asked one of the guys who was uh, recording that was keeping track of the temperature. I said, "Well, what's our temperature now?" And he looked at it, and inside where we were, it was uh, I believe it was one degree either above or below zero. And I was just in my uh, my long underwear and a short sleeve T-shirt. And I thought that that was warm in there. I don't mean like sweaty warm. I just meant like uh, I wasn't painfully cold for once. It had been, you know, seven days of just nonstop painful uh you know, cold, painful cold. And, uh, you know, every time I watch the uh, Band of Brothers or anything else that uh, shows the guys at Bastogne, and I'm looking at them in their summer gear trying to survive through the cold, and I just, those guys, those guys were heroes, you know. They fought. They fought a battle uh, in one of the coldest winters in history uh, for Europe, and they were in their summer clothes. And I'm just, uh, I'm just amazed at those guys and what they what they pulled off. For me, at the, by the end of the seven days, 
I was just, uh, I was just, uh, you know, just wrecked uh, from constant painful cold, from constant falling down in the snow with the uh, with the cross country skis or uh, or running into trees or brush or whatever, and I couldn't believe that uh, it felt actually warm and comfortable at one degree above or below zero, but it did. Uh, but that was also because we had the right gear. So, so that's why it's important. All right, uh, is, uh, is the 712 number that says Mark, is that, uh, is that my, uh, business partner Mark, or is that uh, some other Mark? Uh, do you know Sam? Or Mark, if you're listening, type it into the chat. Uh, that's a different Mark. I believe he's from uh, Wyoming. I believe. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Well, uh, so that is uh, that is pretty much my discussion on shelter. Uh, we're not gonna. I'm not gonna try and make you, uh, you guys, experts on this. I just want my my main goal is just gonna get you to think about it. To think about the fact that there are five legs to the survival uh, table, to the survival plan, and that is uh, water, food, security, shelter, and energy. And shelter is a very important part. And shelter didn't just mean your house or a house. It means uh, anything that stands between you and the elements. And depending on where you are, it's going to depend on your plan. But you've got to have a plan, all right? You can't just uh, you, you can't just take off willy-nilly uh, without a plan. And you you can't just say, well. Uh, if, if something happens, I'll figure out something, because that's what the people that die say. If something happens, well, I'll just I'll figure out something. Uh, you got to have a plan, and I know it sounds uh, it sounds uh, maybe silly, or maybe it sounds uh, that maybe it sounds like I'm trying to make it overcomplicated, but I'm not. I want it to be simple, and the reason it's going to be simple is because you're going to make a plan for it, and you're going to think about what you're going to do, what your mission is going to be, what your climate is, what the possible weather is going to be, where you're going, uh, what you're going to do when you get there, and uh, the things that you may encounter along the way. And you're going to take all that into consideration whenever you form up your plan for shelter. Now, at the same time, you need to think about what happens to you when you don't plan on going somewhere and, and you still end up somewhere. Right, like my uh, like the uh, like a plane crash, or for some reason you volunteered to be on the Naked and Afraid show, and uh, and you end some end up somewhere butt naked, and you need shelter. Uh, so you need to think about what you would do in those cases, and how you're going to survive, how you're going to get shelter, uh, what you're going to use to put between you and the. Uh, and the elements. Now, one last thing that remember I told you about the the Marine Recon guy that was being such a, a wussy doing the Naked and Afraid show. 
I felt it was almost appropriate that the girl that was on there, after she had, uh, after she spent three days uh, waiting on him hand and foot because he got his sunburn the first 30 minutes he was out there, laid on his on his butt. And I'm not saying that he didn't have a debilitating sunburn uh, because he apparently he did. But it was the way that he handled it too, the way that he was crying about the fact that she wasn't bringing him uh, like good things to eat and drink. She was just bringing him coconuts because he wanted something that tasted better than that or, or whatever. And it was just, it was just sad. But uh, uh, and then he also, I uh, guess uh, because of drinking the coconuts, he got. Uh, oh, and he also drank some water that wasn't treated. And he got uh, some type of a dysentery, too. And he was yelling at the girl because she didn't want to drink the water that wasn't treated. She thought it was a bad idea. Well, guess what? It was a bad idea. He was like trying to force her to drink it, and she didn't want to. And she didn't. Good for her. He did. He got dysentery, uh, uh, something that caused him to have diarrhea. And he had uh, diarrhea all in a pile right, uh, right outside the, the door of the tent. And didn't cover it up, and she stepped in it, and he was yelling at her. Scout, can I butt in for a moment on this one? Yeah, go ahead. What do you got? One of the things that people forget, uh, you know, that whole health business that you got to look out for, getting a little case of dysentery when you're out in the middle of nowhere is not just the discomfort of constant diarrhea. It'll kill you. Little Absolutely, it'll kill you. And it won't just kill you, it'll kill your partner who is helpful, who is depending on you to provide 50%. You got it. Yeah, one of those people on the take it, Joe got debilitated with insect bites. Clothing his shelter oh, yeah. from insects, too. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I meant to say that earlier whenever I, when I was talking about Panama, because when I mentioned the three things we took, we took the... Uh, the poncho, the poncho liner, poncho to keep the water off, poncho liner in place of the sleeping bag, because it, it didn't get cold enough for the sleeping bag, but and it certainly didn't want at the time. All they had was down bags. That's all anybody got was a down bag. So a down bag in a jungle uh, in a swamp just doesn't work. We had the poncho, the poncho liner, and a mosquito net. And, yeah, that's part of your shelter from the elements was a mosquito net, because without that, you know, you're going to get bit by uh, by several thousand mosquitoes. And at some point, you're going to look out and you're going to catch one of the mosquitoes that had uh, uh, malaria. So, yeah. So, a mosquito net, you know, at a certain point is going to be <laughs> a part of your shelter plan. You know, if you're going to, if you're in a jungle area, then yeah, a mosquito net's going to have to be part of your your shelter plan, and you should you should plan for it, and you should make sure that you that you have uh, that if you are in that type of an area. If you're in Florida, Louisiana, or something like that, then heck yes, man, you gotta have some type of. I would I would have some type of uh, of like a mosquito net that I could take with me. They're small. I mean, they're they're pretty lightweight. You can roll them up nice and tight, and uh, and you can keep yourself from, uh, I don't know how much malaria we have uh, in the United States, not that much, but but you don't have to get just malaria. You can get plenty of other stuff from insect bites and uh, black flies and everything else. Uh, not 
that would, that would be part of your part of your sure. plan there. <laughs> and uh, uh, the uh, uh, but the whole thing started when I was talking about the the uh, the Marine Recon dude. So he finally at the very end, you know, he kind of apologized, said he was you know sorry for some of the stuff because, like I said, you know, everybody knows that that making a poo outside the tent and not covering it up is a no-no uh, because, like, the girl ended up stepping in it. She was upset about that. I would be, too. But uh, it's kind of funny that uh, before the show ended, she finally found him, uh, like, some bikini panties to wear. That's what he wore. Uh, the rest of the show was some bikini panties. And uh, uh, you guys you guys, tell, you guys, watch the show. You watch yourself watch the Lincoln Afraid show yourself. But listen, that's a, something else that I would also advocate is that uh, uh, that you watch some of these shows. Watch the Naked and Afraid show because uh, uh, not for the nakedness. Uh, they blur everything out anyway. But uh, you can watch it for to see how difficult it is uh, to do some of these things, like make shelter, find water, to make a fire. Because the, the folks that get put on these shows are folks that are usually, uh, you know, writing up in their resumes or bragging about being uh, some type of survival folks. And yet you can see how hard it is for them to to make a fire. You know, some of them it takes three, four, five days to make a fire, uh, to find water, to purify water, uh, to make a shelter, to find food. These are folks they are supposed to be pretty good at it, and they're having a hard time. Uh, in every case, uh, I thought the you know, one of the other things they do on the show is uh, is they will have like a before and after shot of the folks. They'll have a picture of them, uh, like right when they strip off their clothes and land on the beach or wherever. And they'll have a picture of them uh, as they are being extracted. And then they'll also tell you the stats on it. Because uh, I think some of the folks lost, uh, now they're out there for 21 days. And uh, the, uh, uh, I believe I saw one of the people had lost uh, 35, 35 pounds in those 21 days. Almost all of them lost uh, between uh, 15 and, and 30 pounds uh, during the time, during the 21 days they were out there. But there are plenty of shows uh I'm not talking about uh, the Doomsday shows. You can watch those if you want. I, I can't. I watched a couple of those, and I can't find anything uh, useful in those shows. But uh, if you watch the survival shows, then you can at least see the difficulty in in doing this. You can pick up some of the things that they use, some of the uh, the techniques they use to build fires or to purify water, uh, things like that. Uh, so they're good to watch for that. Uh, but uh, but I thought that the that the naked and afraid in almost every case that the guys were awfully uh, were awfully inept. So make sure that uh, whenever you are formulating your plans, that you are considering shelter. And then all the things that go with it, making sure that you're able to uh, keep yourself warm, dry, keeping your gear, 
uh, warm and dry because shelter also was going to apply to your gear. If your gear doesn't work when it's wet, then your gear needs shelter and you need to provide it. If you have uh, fire starting uh, gear, then that's going to need to be dry. If you have uh, 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 tinder that you're going to use to help start the fire, then it's really going to benefit you to have the tinder to be dry to start the fire. Sometimes you can get uh, uh, wet stuff to burn, and uh, it's usually not that hard if you if you do it with a plan. You know, if you have some dry tinder that you can get going and you have some things like uh, like certain types of dry grass or, or really fine, very uh, uh, like less than two toothpick thin uh, dry twigs that you can get that you can put onto your tinder that's burning, and that, that they will dry out fast enough uh, that they will dry out as the fire is starting, and then they will start burning, and then you can put additional small pieces on and keep getting in small pieces. So your fire is hot enough to start drying out uh, the material that you're putting on it. But that's not going to happen if your tinder is wet, all right? So your tinder has to be dry. That means your tinder has to be sheltered. So keeping it in the Ziploc bag, keeping all the rest of your stuff, all your gear inside Ziploc bags, inside your rucksack, inside your pack is very important. Keeping uh, imp- improvised or or made for the situation uh, shelter gear in your vehicles is important. You don't know when you're going to be somewhere in a vehicle and you'll have to leave the vehicle to go somewhere. You could be uh, stuck on a highway somewhere or in the wilderness somewhere. Who knows? Uh, and having some gear in your vehicle is, is pretty important. And we'll talk about, uh, about vehicle for your gear and, uh, gear for your vehicle. Talk about gear for your vehicle uh, again at a later show. But make sure that you have at least uh, some garbage sacks and stuff uh, in your glove box is important. So making sure that your that your shelter plan is actually a plan and not just some vague uh, nebulous uh, thought is one of the things that's going to help get you uh, get you through your situation. All right. All right. Uh, Let's talk about what just happened in Colorado. Now, we know that all across the nation, uh, after the events uh, uh, unfolded with the with these shootings in Colorado, uh, the uh, Aurora, Colorado movie theater, and uh, and the Newton, Connecticut elementary school shootings, we know that all across the nation there was a backlash on this. And, you know, one of the things that I find interesting about this is that <clears throat> The the government and everybody else, everybody else, uh, uh, the one thing you hear over and over and over from them is uh, that we can't judge the Muslims 
by the acts of a uh, of a few lunatics. And you hear that over and over again. We can't judge them by the acts of a few radicals. We can't make a we can't make a blanket judgment on on these folks just because of uh, the acts of a few. And you know what? I I agree with that. Uh, the for the most part, the folks the the Muslim folks are good folks. They're good people. And I know that uh, I know probably a lot of people are are gritting their teeth and ready to uh, ready to yell at me for saying this uh, the day after uh, the worst disaster in American history since the. Pearl Harbor attacks, but the fact remains is that out of the over over the billion of uh, Muslim folks, that the vast majority, because I I know quite a few Muslim folks, the vast majority are good folks, and they don't uh, they don't want to kill you. Uh, They want to live in peace. They want to do the right things. They want to raise their families. They they want to live a happy life. That's that's just the way it is. But there's certainly quite a few uh, that are ready to cut your head off uh, if you blaspheme their religion. The point I'm trying to make is that we're told over and over again that even though there are, uh, I would say, literally millions of Muslims that are that are ready to kill us, that we cannot judge the rest of them by these few millions. Okay, all right, I'll 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 do I'll go for that. I'll I mean I'll I'll accept that. What I want is that turned around and said that for the for the eighty million firearms owners, don't get judged by two people. And that's one of the one of the uh, uh, the sayings that the NRA has uh, is they'll say, uh, uh, like a, a news report, uh, that uh, that of the 80 million firearms owners, uh, you know, n- nobody killed anybody. Uh, none of the uh, legally law-abiding firearms owners killed anybody today with their 80 million firearms. <coughs> I would like uh I would like the the legal law abiding firearms owners to be given the same benefit of the doubt that that the Muslims are. <clears throat> so that's what I would like. I see Sam put in that uh, a whole lot more Christians have tried to kill him than Muslims. I I'll agree with you. Because I don't remember any Muslims trying to kill me, but a lot of folks that were Christians or otherwise did try to kill me. Uh, so you can't judge everyone by the acts of a few, and yet that is what they tried to do after the Aurora, Colorado, and Newton, Connecticut shootings. And you know, and the other side of the coin is is can you that is what that is what we do that's what Americans always do 
that's what most humans do, is when something happens, they want an answer to it. They want an answer, and then they want a fix for it. And the problem with the lawmakers is that the lawmaker, that's, that's their only tool. That's the only thing that they can do. Lawmakers, that's their only job, is they make laws. So in order for them to provide some kind of an answer to the great hue and cry uh, of the general public after the uh, Colorado and Connecticut shootings, in order for them to provide an answer, their own, the only way that they could pro- the only way they could provide an answer was through enacting legislation because that's their job. That's what they do. Uh, that's their only the only tool in their bag. You know the the saying that if if the only tool you have in your bag is a hammer, then pretty soon every problem looks like a nail, and uh, and that's the problem with lawmakers. That's the only tool they have is to enact laws, to enact legislation. So once something happens like this, they feel they have an obligation. They've got to do something. Otherwise, people will say, you did nothing. This horrible event happened, and you did nothing. You just sat there. You didn't enact any laws to make us safer. And so there's a big rush that goes out. We've got to hurry up. We've got to hurry up and do something. We've got to hurry up and push a law through. Let's make a law that says you can only, because this this person had uh, uh, had magazines in their firearms that held uh, over X amount of rounds, let's limit that. That way they can only they can only shoot so many people at once. <clears throat> and the people that have that own and use firearms know that that's it's kind of silly because the whole purpose behind a, a magazine fed firearm is that you just take the empty one out and you put the other one in. Even if there was only uh, three in there, you just pop it out and you put the next one in. Uh, so I'm, I'm not saying that uh, that a person with a 30-round mag might be able to do more damage than a person with a single-shot uh, uh, firearm. I'm just saying that that's not the answer. Uh, because a person that wants a a third round mag is going to be able to get one because there are hundreds of millions of them out there. That's not the answer. That's not the answer to the to the evil. Not only that, but evil doesn't care about legislation. Bad guys don't care that you make laws. They don't care that 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 when they get ready to kill somebody and uh and they steal a car to drive them there, they kidnap somebody, or they break into a place where it's uh, illegal to have firearms and they have a firearm, they're not going to care that that one last law that they're breaking is one that says they can only have uh, seven bullets in their firearm. The majority of of criminals are pretty much, they go for broke kind. They're not going to say, look, I'm going to break these, this other dozen laws, but but that's it. That's my limit. I'm only going to break 12 laws. Now, this 13th law here that says no more than seven bullets in a gun, I'm just not willing to break that. You know, my my moral code won't allow me to do that. They're going to they're going to break the 
law. That's, that's their nature. They're criminals. They disobey laws. So this isn't going to be the answer. More laws aren't the answer. You cannot legislate away evil. Evil evil is going to find a way to be evil. That's just the way that it is. Trying to punish uh, all of the firearms owners because the acts of a few is idiocy. Uh, and <clears throat> apparently the folks in uh, Colorado uh, made this uh, known to their representatives. They had uh, uh, the uh, the two major Democratic lawmakers that uh, pushed the legislation through. They had the state uh, Senate President, John Morse. He was the President of the Senate there in Colorado. And State Senator Angela Giron, uh, both Democrats, uh, were recalled in the very first recall uh, in Colorado history. Uh, I see we got a, uh, a Colorado resident on the line, so I'm going to bring him on because I, I did uh, put out a, a note earlier today saying that uh, if any of the Colorado folks uh, were listening to the show or they were going to listen for them to call in, we want to hear their, their views. So I'm going to bring him on. This is Jim. Uh, Jim, is this Jim uh, Heath? Yeah, it is. Hey, Jim. I can't stay away from you. Well, thank you. Well, I'm glad you called in. Well, I see that you've been on the phone, so I guess you've been listening. Uh, Give us your spin on this, because I I know Jim and and, uh, his lovely wife, Kim, are are two of the Appleseed Project's uh, most valued folks there in Colorado. And Jim's going to... Called in before to talk about uh, different things. We had Jim called in back uh, when we were talking about uh, natural disasters during the fire that uh, came right up to his house, and uh, and they've both been working long and hard in Colorado. And Jim and Kim uh, did the uh, absolutely fantastic show with uh, uh, Michael Bain from Downrange TV uh, for the Appleseed Project, and uh, we really appreciate the, the work that Jim. And Kim have been doing, Jim. Uh, you've been you've been working on this since before the bill even got passed because you were working long and hard hours, and uh, so was Michael Bain there in Colorado. You guys were working long and hard hours to try and prevent this from happening in the first place, but uh, but everybody was unsuccessful, and they managed to ram through the legislation. And uh, there was a there was quite a bit of an outcry once it happened, and there was. A lot of folks who were very upset about it, uh, folks like, uh, well, even Michael Bain was putting together a coalition to uh, uh, to not have anyone come into uh, to a boycott of the film industry there in Colorado. Uh, there was a lot of folks protesting this, and yet it, it was managed to be passed anyway. And what I thought was not a very ethical fashion, but they did get it passed, and and then this big move for the recall of the two major players in this. Uh, give us your your insight, Jim, from being there in Colorado. Give us your insight on how this played out. Sure. Uh, well, first off, uh, both Kim and I are uh, politically active, and we, we like to state our opinions, except when we're representing Appleseed. So I'm going to stay away from, hopefully, 
the partisan portion of this, um, but just kind of give a take, uh, my take on um, how Appleseed relates. Uh, first off, um, the people that we know who were active, um, all of them were Appleseed, either instructors or alumni. Um, they were the, the other folks we know um, uh, hardly even knew when the, the election was going to be. Um, but the Appleseed people, the people that I know who worked on this, were all Appleseed people. Uh, one well, way once you become, when you start getting into Appleseed, you become an instructor and stuff like that. That's, that's one of the things is your your circle of friends. A lot of times, pretty much narrows down to other Appleseed people because that's all you ever have time for. <laughs> Well, that's that's pretty much true. Um, but, but where I so there's a couple of things. One is um, if the process to pass these gun laws, right or wrong, was followed in a reasonable manner, there would not have been the recalls. People would have been upset with it. But uh, my feel is, and, and talking with the people, you know, we we were on a radio program with a fellow who started the recall down in uh, Pueblo. It was coincidental, but we got to talk with him. You know, they started the recall. Um, yeah, the, the, the laws that they passed, these folks disagreed with. But the way they did it, there was no opportunity for um, uh, comment. Uh, there was no opportunity at the committee meetings for anybody to um, voice a different opinion from than what they wanted to hear. Um, there were uh, just all kinds of things that, that were done that were – uh, not a legitimate way, or uh, the the legislator had not worked that way in the past, and so it was uh, it was as much the process that was used as the um, laws that they were trying to pass. And um, but what's interesting, these the, the fellows from Pueblo fit the apple seed mold. They're not apple seeders. We haven't uh, they have, uh, just from that interview. We uh, were at the same show with them. Uh, we had a little bit of contact. Don't know them very well at all. Uh, but they're two guys who saw what was going on in the world around them and decided, I can't let that happen. I have to stand up and do something. And so two brothers, uh, you can read on the Internet what they went through and their stories because it's out there on a number of websites. But these guys, just like the dangerous old men, dangerous old women, they saw what was going on around them. They didn't have the skills, but they knew they just couldn't stand by and watch what was happening. Um, and, and anybody from any political point of view could do that. But these guys did it. They stood up and said, we're not going to take this. Um, and so they fought for what they thought was right and were able to make a difference for all of Colorado and potentially the nation um, that, uh, that other folks might be able to stand up and say, I don't like what's going on. Rather than just sit here and complain about it, I'm going to do something about that and get something done. So that's kind of my take on it. Well, you know, I, I, now, did I, did I hear this right? Did, I, did, I, did you say that the, the two gentlemen, the, the main ones that you were talking about that got involved, did you say that they had been to an apple seed? They have not. They're, um, they knew about apple seed. Um, the, the, I don't, unfortunately, they're two brothers, and I don't remember which one I, we talked with. Uh, but anyway, um, they had knew about Appleseed, and we had a chat with them about Appleseed um, after or during a break between the interviews. Um, and we have invited them to an Appleseed, but uh, we'll see if they show up. Okay. Well, I just 
I thought that you had said that they were yeah. that they were uh apple seed, but but anyway, uh I, I just want folks to to understand that in the last few years, whenever something uh when something major has happened, that it hasn't been uh, uh tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of people standing up uh and fighting against it. It's been uh, the case in two of the major ones, and this one here in Colorado, with the, the case of the, the two gentlemen that, uh, that mainly ramrodded the beginning of this and getting it started, and then also with the case of uh, uh, Sheriff Mack uh, getting the uh, the Brady bills uh, quashed because the one Brady bill that came through uh, was not the only one. There were there was a whole long line of them waiting to come through. And one guy, Sheriff Mack, took it all the way to the Supreme Court and won. And uh, and it's the same thing that uh, occurred here in uh, or there in Colorado. Uh, it wasn't uh, tens of thousands of people. Now, it eventually was in the uh, in the uh, elections in the recall. <clears throat> but to get it started, it didn't take uh, it didn't take thousands of people. It just took one person or two people to get this started, to make it a mission and say, look, I, I'm not going to accept this. I know everybody's telling me that I just got to shut up and I got to take it as much as I hate it. And, and you know, that's just the way things are. And don't we hate that it's happening and isn't that it's just a damn shame, uh, but we just got to take it. And the, the thing is we don't have to take it. We can make a difference. And the difference will be depending on how much we're ready to commit to it. And, and obviously, these guys were ready to uh, to commit to it and make a difference. Now, I've noticed that the, in the spin on it, uh, I don't know who. It sounded like everybody was trying to to throw water on it uh, to keep it from sounding like it was just a uh, a pro gun versus anti gun thing. I know that there was a lot of other issues involved. Uh, apparently, there's there was a lot of uh, uh, there was a lot of uh, uh, anger steered up by uh, water usage. I guess that uh, that uh, Senator John had uh, tried to push through, uh, and then uh, a lot of other things that people were adding on that they were angry about. But the bottom line is is that the reason that this happened was because of what they what they tried to push through and force onto the people who did not want it. There was also a lot of talk about. Uh, about how these senators were apparently were unresponsive or unwilling to listen to their constituents. And like you were just saying, the way that they the way that they pushed it through was was really not the way that you do things. I mean, people should just get a, a, a chance to talk about it or or to debate it, and they were not given that chance. If the Go ahead, um, if they had allowed, uh, no, let's, let's put it this way: if they were representing their constituents there would not have been much people would have uh, still complained about the law but I'm sure I'm quite sure there wouldn't have been the recall Um, and again not to get too political but uh, our new current day political but uh, John Morris did make this statement uh, in an email to uh, he was president of the Senate in Colorado uh, to his um, his uh, fellow party members that uh, essentially he said, don't listen 
to your emails, don't listen to the letters, don't listen to your constituents vote right. the way you're supposed to vote. And that right. was as much a thorn in the side of uh, the folks with the recall than, and probably more so, because a whole bunch of senators uh, and House uh, represent, uh, Assembly uh, voted for these bills, and they were not recalled. And so it's not just that the bills were passed. It was the process uh, as much as anything. Right. And any time, and, and people, that's one of the things that people are absolutely sick of, and that is our representatives saying, don't listen to what the people say, the people that elected us. Don't listen to what they say. We're going to do what we think is right. Uh, because we know better than anybody else, we're going to do what we think is right rather than answering and doing our jobs, which is to represent the people. So I think that that uh, I think that was probably one of the things that ultimately led to to them being uh, to their recall. Well, listen, Jim, I want to thank you very much for calling in, and I want to thank uh, uh, all of the thank you and your wife for all that you've done and the whole Colorado crew. Because I know it's not just you and your wife. I know you guys have a great crew uh, there in Colorado that you work with. But I want to thank you for for the work that you guys do, and thanks for calling in tonight. Thank you. Call in any time that uh, any time that we can get you on the show, we're we're appreciative of it. And uh, be sure and tell Craig my said thank you. I will do that. All right. Thanks, Scott. Thank you, sir. Uh, Okay, we're just about the end of the show. I want to make sure that uh, you guys uh, make sure that you're thinking about your plans for. for all five legs of your survival plan, make sure you're thinking about uh, water, food, shelter, security, and energy. Make sure you're putting it all together in uh, a well-rounded out plan. Now, uh, one last thing I want to remind folks of is that uh, the the Rifleman Radio Show is sponsored by Battle Road USA. And you can go to our website. we got the new skin on, guys. Go take a spin. Go take a look at the website, battleroadusa.com. And uh, it's still not – it's 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 still, like, in its uh, infancy, but uh, we do have the new skin put on, uh, battleroadusa.com. And uh, look at the, the upcoming courses that we have. Because we're right – we've got uh, the Battle Road USA Into the World Zombie Run and Gun. Uh, which is a 4.5-mile looping course with eight stations for rifle and pistol and obstacles that have to be negotiated in between each station. We invite everybody to come out to that. That will be October 12th, uh, Saturday, October 12th. It's 100 bucks. You can go to the BattleRoadUSA.com website and click on the zombie running gun, and that will take you to the page. It will uh, give you some of the facts about it. And then you can also register. Uh, so if you'd like to come, make sure you go and get your uh, registration in now. That's uh, Saturday, October 12th. And in November, we have the uh, Precision Rifle Sniper course. We have the Combat Carbine course. Uh, the Combat Carbine course is a two-day course for your modern combat carbine. Precision Rifle course is a five-day course uh, that's going to introduce you to the skills and techniques needed to make shots at distance. And then we have a five-day course uh, called Squad School for Patrolling. All right? We'll see you guys next Wednesday, next uh, Thursday, 7 p.m. Central. Uh, take care. God bless.
Right, they'll knock you to your knees. 